Welcome back to the Predictions Podcast. Today we want to talk about hydrogen as a fuel of the energy transition. With me is my brother again. Ingmar, how do you feel about using hydrogen in the household for heating? It's very clear that we want to get rid of natural gas. There are two mainstream discussions that are going on right now, or two mainstream solution ideas. The first one is using electricity for heat pumps, and the other one is using hydrogen for gas heatings, natural gas heatings that are made hydrogen ready. The discussion is kind of evolving around those two technological solutions. I think the people who, who are um, proposing the hydrogen solution, they're kind of arguing that you will need less change, right? You can keep running your existing infrastructure. You don't need to change people's heatings. You don't need to make sure that, uh, I don't know, like in Germany, there are a bunch of apartments still in many cities that have um, apartment heating. So in every apartment, you have a heating running, burning gas. I think people are arguing that if you're using hydrogen, you will have less costly transition because you don't need to replace all those heatings. Instead of plugging in gas that's coming from the ground, you use hydrogen that you're generating with electrolysis from clean energy sources and you're done. That's right. I think the idea is kind of to need less systematic change and just have like little updates to the, the existing gas infrastructure, which is pretty ubiquitous, and just replacing all of that with hydrogen. So that's kind of on the plus side for hydrogen heatings. And it's a disadvantage of, of heat pumps, which don't reach the same levels of absolute heat. They are more efficient, but they, they're not that hot. So like everything has to change, right? You need bigger radiators or you need uh, heated floors or something is, like that. Is that actually true? I've, I've heard that this is actually not true. Like you, you can keep running your existing radiators with heat pumps. You can, but they, they don't get that hot. Another steel man here is that you can basically start today. If you're putting pure hydrogen through gas pipes, you will need special gas pipes. Um, you will need special heatings. But adding a bit, bit of hydrogen to the gas mix nowadays, going basically from, I don't know, what's in there, 3% of hydrogen that's naturally in natural gas? I'm not sure, maybe even zero. Um, but going from that to like 20%, I've heard, uh, you can do basically without making any changes to the infrastructure. So you can do this today. So it, it's an easy way to get started in a sense. Yeah. On the other hand, the huge disadvantage, if you really want to have green hydrogen and you start from electricity, you do some form of electrolysis, you get the hydrogen, you have to transport it and then you burn it. Your overall um, efficiency is, is quite low compared to heat pumps, which are more than 100% efficient because they basically use environment heat, kind of suck heat out of out of the environment and put it into your home. Yeah, I, I think the discussion is kind of, do we want more infrastructural and systematic change and then end up with a more efficient solution? Or do we want to kind of plug in a greener solution into our existing infrastructure at a higher cost? In general, I have an issue with the efficiency argument that is made in many situations where people are like yeah but this new technology be it electric cars be it heat pumps is more efficient therefore it is better therefore we should use it because it would be stupid to use a less efficient technology and i think that is just not trivially true it just pisses me off sometimes the arrogance that comes with it like hey i'm a physicist i understand that this process is more efficient therefore you're stupid if you think that we should use the other technology because the point is that yes maybe heat pumps are more efficient in terms of electricity But if they're, I don't know, a million times more expensive, they're not economically efficient. Like we can do more for moving the energy transition forward by moving everything to hydrogen. 
than to build one or two heat pumps if they were like infinitely expensive, right? However, I mean, they're not infinitely expensive. They're affordable. They're less affordable right now because everybody's trying to get one. But this is a temporary, I think, supply crunch. And what we will see is that prices come down. And I think the issue is nowadays that if you want to put hydrogen into the gas network, you cannot really do it competitively. Like if you take electricity, you look at the price per kilowatt hour, use that electricity to generate hydrogen, put it into the gas network. And you look at the price per kilowatt hour for gas, you already made a loss even if you have 100% efficient conversion and zero capital costs and zero operational costs, right? We can talk about producing hydrogen in other parts of the world. That's a different story. But if you use that electricity to run a heat pump, you come out roughly at the same cost as running a gas heating nowadays, plus minus. I mean, depends on how the prices fluctuate. And I think that's a sign that actually in this situation, the efficiency does matter. The fact that the heat pump is more efficient does allow you to use a more expensive energy source, which is electricity, and still be competitive in terms of heating costs. And I think in this case, yes, the efficiency argument counts. And it kind of doesn't make really sense economically to feed in hydrogen to the gas network also ecologically there are a bunch of other things you can do with hydrogen if you already have pure hydrogen that are more high value than putting it into the gas network for example you can generate ammonia from it and replace gray hydrogen which is created from methane <laughs> if you put hydrogen back into the gas network you basically turn it back into methane you devalue it yeah and there is a bunch of methane still being used being burned to generate hydrogen so if you can replace that, you have doing more good than putting the hydrogen into the heating network. Yeah, I think you're definitely right looking at the economics today. And I mean, first of all, the comparison of heat pumps to natural gas, I think, will only become more, more clearly in favor of heat pumps. So I think the economics are such that I don't see a very fundamental reason that natural gas should become cheaper anytime soon. But I see many reasons why electricity should become cheaper. You can argue that if electricity becomes cheaper, hydrogen does too. Exactly. And the other point is also that as we move to more renewable energy, electricity production will be less homogeneously distributed over time. That could change the economics as well, right? Because it true. could be that, okay, yeah, on average, electricity is that expensive that it doesn't make sense to like create hydrogen from an average priced kilowatt hour but if you have an overproduction of, of photovoltaic or wind energy which which happens a lot right already today and might mm. happen even more as we remove coal plants and add renewable plants yeah. there might be times in which electricity is just zero price and i think hydrogen at zero cost or negative cost will be quite competitive so there's an argument to make for that if you already spent the money to kind of store electric energy in the form of hydrogen yeah then now burning the hydrogen is 100 percent efficient right turning hydrogen into heat turning stuff right. into heat is always always perfectly efficient right um the point is just First of all, heat pumps might be more than 100% efficient. And second of all, exactly. as you say, maybe we have we have different things to do with the hydrogen. If we think about the farther future, where there's a lot of overproduction of electricity, which will need to happen if we need to overbuild solar and wind, if we want to not run into energy crunches, there will be lots of times when you basically have zero marginal costs and you have basically free electricity. And we will find many good ways to use that. And one good way will be to make hydrogen from it. And yeah, if you have that hydrogen and then if you burn it for heating, you get 100% efficiency. However, if you burn it in a power plant, you make 
electricity from it, you feed it back into your heat pumps, you get more than 100%. So even in that case, where you have free hydrogen that you just got, it's better mm. to use that in a power plant, make electricity from it, and then use it in a heat pump, if you have the heat pump infrastructure already. The point is that the times when there will be zero or negative electricity prices will be, I don't know, maybe 30% or 40%. People still want to have a heat pump um, yeah. because there are times where there is electricity available directly from renewable sources to heat. Yeah. And if you have a heat pump already, then it's more efficient to burn the hydrogen in a power plant and then feed that electricity into the heat pump, also economically more efficient. And the other point is, I think that people are kind of underestimating, and I think it's also being downplayed, the danger of hydrogen. I think that hydrogen is a very different gas than methane. The methane is the gas that's natural gas. Like, I think natural gas is like mostly yeah, methane, much right? All of it. Yeah. So, and <laughs> hydrogen is, is more volatile, right? It's more likely to explode. It's much harder to build pipes that are able to hold hydrogen. Your house gas network is probably not hydrogen ready. So even if your heating is officially hydrogen ready, you can't get hydrogen to it because all the gas network isn't, all the pipes in your house aren't, the pipes under the street aren't. We already have electrical heat pumps in all the houses or we can have them. Even today, even under today's constraints with the current gas price, I think if we didn't have a gas network, it would probably be smarter not to build a gas network now under every street but just have a centralized gas network that connects power plants and has storages for basically big producers and big consumers mm. and then deliver electricity to households and then use that, that electricity in heat pumps. Even with today's gas prices and power prices, I think that makes sense. I think having a gas network is a relict from a time when, when we didn't have maybe such a good heat pump technologies. Yeah. And rebuilding that network hydrogen ready when you have the option to just burn the hydrogen in the power plant. Or use it for electrosynthesis, right? Yeah, use a fuel cell. And then use the existing grid to transport that electricity to households. I mm. think I would rather choose that secondary option, right? You have a much smaller grid. That smaller grid is easier to upgrade to hydrogen. It's also yeah. safer. <laughs> yeah, I think having hydrogen explosions around the houses are not fun. And I think in the end, it's less capital intensive. It's, it's safer and it's more efficient. Yeah, I see your point, but maybe just to take a step back. So there are a few variables which are in favor of using hydrogen directly for heating in your home or to use electricity via, via heat pumps, right? So I, I think it very much depends on like how much overproduction of electricity will we actually have? Like how much can we profit from storing that energy in hydrogen? How expensive is it to update our grid? How expensive is it to update residential heating making it ready to be usable with heat pumps. I think it's just a very large number of economic factors that are already hard to estimate today and even harder to extrapolate 10 years into the future. So, yeah. and, and then you make policy decisions where you basically... Exactly. I think one, one like fundamental thing that is annoying to me about this discussion is that it's not really technologically open, right? So if there would be like a very airtight way to impose just a carbon tax right or a yeah. certificate trade yeah. on residential heating a, a, a or cap i mean trade, even better on cap and on trade scheme for for carbon emissions that, that exactly. includes uh, not only power production but also traffic and other areas of the economy exactly because that's that's the modern economy's way to figure out 
<laughs> exactly what we're asking ourselves, right? What is yeah. the better solution? It's just running the experiment, letting the market decide. Of course, you need to like curb the externalities, right? Which is why we need certificate trade. I think that would be the elegant way of solving it. The thing about hydrogen-ready heatings is that it kind of postpones your costs, right? And it's just politically easier to sell. Okay, so a bunch of things to unpack here. <laughs> I agree that having a cap-and-trade system is the cleanest way, the most elegant way to let the market figure out what is the most efficient solution. And you're right, if we have a lot of electricity overproduction, a lot of calculus changes. And maybe, yeah, we will want to produce a lot of hydrogen. And then if you have it, whatever. Yeah, maybe it's so cheap that we would rather just ship it rather than worry about efficiency. I also agree that basically saying, hey, you can keep, keep running your gas heating, we just put a hydrogen-ready label on it, which is, I think, a lie because the tubes that lead to your heating are not ready. If you do that, if that is your political move, then it's basically an out. It's, it's basically saying we do nothing, but we pretend to do something. If you want to seriously move forward the energy transition, you have a choice between banning gas heatings and saying, okay, by this year we stop building gas heatings, we all switch to heat pumps or doing a cap-and-trade system, or you do both. I think the issue why people are hesitant to introduce cap-and-trade systems is because they're very that they're politically very hard to implement. As soon as you do it, prices go up and people start screaming. And secondly, even if you ease them in slowly, like you have a higher cap for the first years and you don't allow people to trade these certificates between different years, even if you do that, at some point, there's a crunch in supply for these certificates, the price goes up, people start screaming, and you have no guarantee that whatever government is in power then will not revert. It may be politically easier to ban a certain heating system, because then the cost is basically hidden. Which is a shame, because it, you give up certain efficiencies that the market would have discovered. Oh, and one more thing I wanted to add. The market is not a liberal market. Gas pipes that are running in the street are heavily regulated monopoly so even if you say okay we just put a cap and trade system on we put a price in carbon we let the market figure it out there are certain entities in this economy the grid providers right the gas grid and the power grid where there are political planning decisions to be made because these are just not free markets and so you have to make a decision are we going to build a gas grid yes or no and if you're building a gas grid yes of course then it's easy to deliver in the gas if you're not building a hydrogen grid, then it's almost impossible you are forced to make assumptions political assumptions even if you put a cap and trade maybe you have to make them a few years later and that's why i would prefer it but i just the electricity market and the power market in general is just not a free market it's a regulated heavily regulated market that tries to imitate a free market and tries to not block the free market and there are regulatory decisions that need to be made and that need to anticipate certain market developments or that are also affecting how the market will develop. So I think the political decision that has been made in Germany now is basically impose a minimum ratio of renewably created energy in your home heating energy mix and I think effectively by today's economics and how the energy mix of the electricity grid is made up the only way you can meet that is by buying a heat pump starting in 2030 okay but we already started talking about using hydrogen for storage and maybe we can zoom in on that a little every time you have excess electric energy in principle you can just use that energy to create hydrogen green hydrogen through electrolysis which is a fairly efficient process and then you can store that either cryogenically cooled in liquid form or in pressure tanks 
And then when you need that energy, you can perform electrosynthesis and then you get out electricity. And the round trip efficiency of that is in the range of, I think, 30 to 40%, depending on how you calculate it, because you can also use the excess heat that you create during synthesis. If you also use that, you get to higher numbers, I think. For long-term storage, hydrogen is basically set, right? It's, it's, it's the best way. If you don't want to turn the Mediterranean into like a big pumped hydro power plant, then that's probably the best way to go. The question for me is, okay, do you store the hydrogen directly or do you convert it further into methane to make it more storable? Do you know if you have already solutions for storing big quantities of hydrogen safely over long periods of time? So long periods of time would be on the order of half a year, right? That's perfectly doable. The thing about converting the gas further into larger molecules that are that are easier to contain, I think that's interesting, but maybe mostly for applications in the mobility sector. For just storing and then reusing it, you don't want to like have a too long chain of conversions into different gases. You have to compare the losses. I mean, you have to compare the cost of converting it to methane in terms of efficiency losses and capital costs and operational costs. You have to compare that to whatever storage costs and storage losses you save if you convert it to methane. Also, there's the fact we have a methane grid, right, that we can use. We have power plants that can burn methane. There's also a capital investment for for electrosynthesis, right? This is super hard to predict what what mm. will make most economic sense the point is just that this is a, a probably quite scalable to just build more tanks approach to storing large amounts of energy basically the entire energy you and your family will burn through in a year that includes your electric car your heating and your home electricity basically everything you use that's like something on the order of a cubic meter of hydrogen at what pressure <laughs> at, at pressure yeah that's right atmospheric pressure or roughly 700 bar something like that it doesn't sound like a lot maybe it's five right i'm just trying to say it's not 10 it's not 100 basically if you have an entire small town you can you can build a tank somewhere in that town that you don't see from far away to store the entire energy needs for that town for an entire year so it seems scalable the efficiency is it's not as good as batteries but it's not terrible and it's probably much more affordable than building batteries the cool thing is that this is really something you can let the market figure out to some extent if it's economical to buy electricity at low prices generate hydrogen from it store it turn it back into electricity and sell it, that's great. If it's more economical to turn it into methane and sell it into the, into the gas grid, that's also great. And you can just let basically let the market figure out what's more efficient here. I think what needs to happen is that if you consume power for the purpose of storing it, you probably should not pay the same grid fees and the same grid connection fees as somebody who consumes power to produce something. Because if you're storing power, you're probably consuming it at, at times of grid overload. So we need to think about the grid pricing and congestion pricing and these kind of things. But I think if you do that, you can really generate a market where the best storage solution wins. You can turn hydrogen into ammonia, which is used for fertilizer production. So that's already a pathway where you can use hydrogen today, green hydrogen to make money or to sell it. You can use ammonia to power ships. Ammonia is relatively easy to transport. And I think it's easier to make ammonia from hydrogen than to make methane. So I was also thinking if maybe creating ammonia from hydrogen, storing it, 
and then burning it or converting it back to electricity through electrosynthesis is, is maybe also an option. The thing is that if you burn ammonia, you get a lot of nitrogen oxides. So it's not something mm-hmm. you want to do where any people are nearby. But if you're thinking about an ocean liner, container ship, if you're thinking about maybe a power plant, maybe that's manageable. I think if you burn it at correct temperatures, if you have a good recycling of, of the exhaust air, then you also get pretty good burn and not so many nitrogen oxides yeah. we don't know time will tell mm-hmm. and the market will will tell us but in principle it seems like a very elegant very decentralized solution to overproduction do you think it's decentralized do you think villages or private individuals will put up hydrogen tanks because to me it sounds more like something that you want to do in a centralized place very like you put it like deep underground not something you want to do in your backyard sure but maybe you have like one plant right per i don't know per city or so and you, you can have some competition is what i'm trying to say i'm not saying that it will be like a crowdsourced it doesn't need to be centrally planned but you will probably have bigger entities at important grid connection points or something like that you don't have to make a political decision to mm. use hydrogen for storage you just need to like let the electricity market find correct prices right And then what will happen is that there are times where electricity is zero cost or maybe negative cost and that there are times where electricity is very high cost and then there will be people who will try to arbitrage on that. And the way to do that is to build storage and then they... The market pressure will let them figure out what is the best solution. Actually, the negative price electricity, I don't expect that to happen much more. This is an effect of subsidies, right? Like if, if if you're an electricity producer, a solar power plant, and there is negative prices, the only reason why you would keep producing is because you get subsidies, you get a guaranteed payout. If you're if you're selling your power on the market without subsidies, which is where we are moving, and there are negative prices, you will turn your power plant off. We should expect times where prices are zero or basically almost zero, but we shouldn't expect a lot of times where prices are negative. It will be kind of a fringe effect, right, of not like being able to, to like shut down your plant quickly enough. What you need to do if you want to enable a storage market is that you need to take certain grid fees off these uh, storage providers. If I buy electricity as a consumer or as a factory, I pay for grid connection, I pay for the grid upkeep, I pay a bunch of fees, and they're significant. They're a significant part of the price. So even if the stock market price of power is zero, I still pay a significant non-zero price. And that doesn't really make sense if you're a storage provider. Yes, you are taking electricity from the grid, but you are also playing a part in stabilizing the grid, right? So we really need to think about how we can exempt these storage providers, partially at least, from these grid fees, so that storing electricity becomes economical. What you're seeing a lot nowadays is to have storage before the meter. So you have a metering point where the in-feed is measured from a solar power plant and the battery that is is co-located with the solar power plant on on the side of the power plant, not on the side of the grid, such that the electricity that you use to charge your batteries doesn't need to pay grid fees. And I think that's a little bit of an effect that's pointless. It's it's basically a a regulatory evasion effect that you have to co-locate the batteries with the power plant so closely. How are the grid fees? Are they politically decided or how they're set by transmission operators i think and there are also taxes in them by the way and Mm -hmm. um, the transmission operators are semi-state entities like they're very regulated monopolies it doesn't make sense that you co-locate the batteries where the power production is right because otherwise you do need to, to transport it but whether it's like 
directly with the, the with the power plant and i'm the same owner as the power plant's owner or if like somebody builds a power plant and across the street i build my storage plant yeah. it should a little bit be up to me yeah maybe there should be like a private grid then <laughs> to connect our two plants so I, I think there's some innovation coming in but also there needs to be some regulatory change that's what i'm saying to really enable this competitive market discovery of the best technology for storage yeah exactly we need to like let the market figure that out freely and um, of course if you have if you basically have people trying to co-locate their storage that's clearly an artifact of of over-regulation but i mean le leaving that aside we will see i think it will be interesting and hydrogen will be either the solution itself or a large part of the solution itself or even if it if it's not then it's probably a starting point to a lot of other solutions like um synthetic fuels everything chemistry <laughs> so power to x always starts with hydrogen basically so the other thing about hydrogen other than it, that it kind of scales well and storing large large amounts of energy and hydrogen seems to be relatively easy is that it's energy density per mass is pretty good it's actually much higher than kerosene and and diesel and gasoline so everything we use today just for its energy density per mass can actually be surpassed by hydrogen the catch is that the energy density per volume is not so great even if we even if we liquefy it or or put it to to very high pressures um which is basically the reason why we don't have uh, hydrogen planes yet if you have a low density per volume then you need a big tank and if you need to have high pressure you need a bigger tank right so if you take the energy density per mass and you account for basically the energy, the, the mass of the tank um, then it doesn't look as good as it would look maybe on paper as a pure energy density per mass yeah for cars you can build slightly lighter cars with slightly higher range today using hydrogen and you can fuel them a bit faster right exactly but the difference is is very small and i expect it to go to zero or um yeah just the difference being inverse over the next few years and that's bad news for hydrogen because on the other hand battery electric cars are much more efficient than hydrogen right so that the round trip um, efficiency of taking electricity then creating hydrogen transporting it somewhere right which also takes much more energy putting it into your car then doing the synthesis then running the motor it's i think it's something like 20 percent and with battery electric vehicles the entire thing is something like 80 percent or so already today battery electric cars are cheaper to run than gasoline cars and they're much cheaper than hydrogen cars they're cheaper to run but if you take into account the, basically the the way i mean how much you destroy the battery with every charge if you drive 100 kilometers with an electric car the, the cost of electricity is actually smaller than the cost of battery use i would expect that the cost you have in terms of battery degradation is is bigger than the power use so the efficiency argument is important but i think it's almost it is not the whole story, as as I always say. Like, there is also the question of, okay, how much do I have to pay for a battery? How much do I have to pay for a hydrogen tank and a hydrogen fuel cell? And how much capital cost is attached? But I, I agree with you. Um, it seems that 
electric cars are winning and uh, there are eff efficiencies of scale and learning effects and um, it seems I mean, if I was betting on hydrogen cars I would be very nervous now and it just seems like my rule of thumb is that hydrogen is something you don't want to have close to end users and uh, it just seems like a simpler solution to have the same thing that powers your phone also power your car i think for cars we pretty much agree there there are few nuances but the higher energy density of hydrogen is not enough to make up for its lower efficiency i think that is pretty much like from where we are today i think like five years ago i was still a little unsure but i think today i'm i'm pretty sure electric battery electric cars are winning that okay next is trucks trucks are basically cars but the energy density problem gets a little bit more important and also the um, like basically reloading the vehicle time problem maybe also gets a little bit more important because you just have more capacity. I mean, I'm not sure. I think for trucks, it really, really have to see how it all pans out for long haul trucking or intercity trucking. Like the economics are, are very, very different. It might be that there are some niche applications in, in really long-haul trucking. Do battery electric ships work? On short distances, ferries. Like if you have a ferry that goes like 20 minutes and then can plug in for half an hour for loading and it goes another 20 minutes and can plug in for half an hour, yes, you can do that. But you're not going to have a, a battery electric ship going from China to Europe. I just... Because because the, more, the longer you go the more battery you have to carry, like it grows exponentially, right? Like you carry more battery because you carry more battery, you have more weight to carry. So you need to carry more battery. This is worse for planes, but it also matters for ships. And also uh, for what matters for ships is cargo capacity, right? Like if you have half the ship taken up by by um, by batteries, that that's a problem. But by, by the way, which is also an argument for trucks and not so much for electric cars, because you can just make the electric cars bigger, but you can't just make trucks bigger. What's the energy consumption of an ocean-going container ship? It's like in the in the megawatt range, right? I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I know. I think it's a lot more than we would probably think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it seems it, it seems it seems fairly unrealistic uh, to have a battery electric ocean-going cargo ship like going from I don't know Shanghai to New York. I, I, actually i would bet that cargo ships are the last thing that switches to any green energy source because it's such an internationalized industry it's not so easy to evade and go i don't know fly under a different country's flag and so on and it's very hard to regulate unless you want to like ban all petrol ships from your ports or something and then people will find ways around and just it's such a cost conscious business and the, the fuel cost is a huge driver and if you if you can get cheap fuel from some country, you're going to do that rather than get e-fuel. So e-fuel really needs to get cheap and it needs to get cheap, not only competitive with petrol, but it needs to be competitive with like this raw fuel that you burn in a cargo ship. And I think it will take a while, but I really don't see much of another option, especially for the long haul routes. Yeah. Other than synthetic fuels, anything that comes from hydrogen, not pure hydrogen. I think that's too volatile. And also still not dense enough, honestly. Mm. Okay, but it needs to be some kind of chemical storage. I mean, other than batteries. <laughs> All right, yeah. This is just a gut feel, but I, I have mm -hmm. seen some ideas for people who want to put, I don't know, battery like containers as batteries on ships. Um, maybe. Yeah. 
I don't think we are talking about a significant decarbonization of the shipping industry in the next 30 years anyways. I think that will take a long time. Okay, one last thing in like the mobility sector, which is kind of dear to our heart, would be airplanes. I love airplanes, yeah. <laughs> not as much as not as much as trains, but I do love airplanes. I think with airplanes, there are again like different different sectors you, you need to look at. Like short distances could be made with an electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicle that are developed everywhere at the moment. I think those those things look quite realistic and close to to market we had an episode on this and i don't think i want to say anything more about that topic <laughs> without my lawyer <laughs> they are still around and it doesn't seem to be a vaporware volocopter they recently had a visit by the german minister of transport so now i'm really worried oh that's bad news okay but then like long distance commercial airliners i think it will be more interesting there one thing you could do there is just introduce synthetic fuels start with hydrogen then do some more chemical processing until you're basically have something that is very close to kerosene and then you can you can basically continue running our airplanes today but just with uh, green fuel the problem is again like the longer the the production chain is the the lower your efficiency gets and the question mm. is whether that will like or how long it will take until that makes economic sense You could also start start putting the fuel into the plane a little earlier in the chain and just build hydrogen planes. And I think there are some some of the large airplane manufacturers are seriously looking into that. Are you referring to the Airbus concepts? Honestly, they look fucking bonkers. They're like having huge like single wing, like I don't know, like a wing plane, you know, like where the whole plane is a wing or something. I think the airplane industry is super conservative. Like people don't like to change the way a plane looks. The regulators don't like to change the way a plane looks. They don't like to change the way a plane is fueled. Here I'm falling for the argument that I didn't accept for home heating is that you have all this process, you have all this technology, you have all this understanding of how you can fly a plane. I think it will be very hard to come in with a different fuel technology. Even if you get approval, I think it will take very long to get uptake. I think the only hope is to find a way to produce kerosene, exactly kerosene, economically from hydrogen i think it's a little bit more nuanced so there are less bonkers ideas by airbus for like the medium range and the question is whether that will be economic because basically their idea is to give up the last third of the plane for an additional hydrogen tank <laughs> it remains to be seen whether that will be economically viable so I, i i think basically in the end the the question will be whether you can fly with two-thirds of the passengers with cheaper fuel which would be hydrogen whether that is better than flying with all of the passengers with synthetic kerosene and then for very long haul airplanes i agree unless you really change how airplanes are built and in an extremely slow moving industry like yeah, airplane manufacturing that seems unlikely I, I don't see a way to decarbonize it other than just letting them continue to to do what they always did, which is giving them green fuel. It's a very open discussion on whether that, like whether synthetic kerosene will ev ever be um, competitively priced. I don't think there's a fundamental reason speaking against that, right? If we live in a future where we have abundant energy overproduction at certain times, we, we might be able to do it. But on the other hand, just capital investments might be so high that it, it doesn't really 
work out. You're competing against pulling fuel out of the ground and the, the marginal cost of extracting fuel from the ground is cheap, especially for oil. I mean, that, that's a problem we have in general and when it comes to um, pushing out oil out of the economy. But I think the only way is to compete on cost. And that requires a lot of solar. I'm pretty optimistic, like even compared to one year ago, I'm much more optimistic that, that we will be able to decarbonize our economies pretty quickly, right? So we talked about airplanes in the end, and I think it's a little bit less clear there. But on the other hand, that's 6% of, of CO2 emissions worldwide, or maybe even in traffic, it might be even lower. And for cars, trucks, trains and to a certain extent boats i think i'm pretty optimistic now and yeah there seems to be a lot of political will to to replace residential heating all in all i, I can see the signs everywhere we're really moving towards a carbon-free world and it's it's happening quite quickly right it's exciting i would put boats on airplanes on roughly the same level as like very internationalized industries you can get your fuel from wherever you want how to regulate And basically, mm -hmm. you need to imitate whatever fuel they have right now. And I think for boats, it's even harder. For ships, it's even harder because the fuel they use is even lower value than kerosene. So you're, you're not even having, having a refinery process that you can really compete against. But I agree with you that even if you cannot solve ships and airplanes for a while, that's maybe okay if you can solve the rest of the sector. And it buys us a bunch of time to, to solve those as well. And then there are also economies of scale where you say, okay, just to keep fueling airplanes maybe we cannot afford all that oil extraction infrastructure or refinement infrastructure so mm. maybe that then also you have some tipping points in the other direction and maybe at the margins if we have like very little co2 product production in 30 years for for small sectors of the economy maybe then that is where we also can talk about carbon capture that is maybe where, where it becomes responsible to to take that into the picture i don't think it's very reasonable to imagine us going forward just doing the same stuff that we already do and just capturing everything back but if we are already only talking about air traffic for example it might be possible to compensate for that at some point i'm also quite optimistic in general just the amount of factory capacity that's coming online that will then determine how fast we build more solar. I think that's also going to increase significantly and we're going to see a big boom. And it's going to be exciting to see how this landscape develops. The cool thing about synthetic fuels, maybe not hydrogen, but hydrogen derivatives, is that you can ship them around the world. So even if the regulatory system in one country is not very suitable for being innovative, then other countries can catch up the slack and fill the world market with mm -hmm the electric fuels they produce. And I think that makes it also interesting because it's not such an island situation like it is maybe for electricity. Yeah, that's a good point. I think overall, two years ago, I wasn't sure whether electric cars would win. One year ago, I wasn't so sure whether there was enough political will to decarbonize residential heating, even in Europe. And then today, I'm not so sure whether we can do airplanes and boats. I'm quite optimistic that in two years from now, my opinion on that will change all in all i'm optimistic and i think the future is bright